0: Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy and my guest today is Joshua Leake, co-founder of the Portland Film Festival. As you're about to hear, he's a joy to talk with for his perspectives not only on Portland and the festival, but on his interesting personal path to filmmaking. He studied calligraphy with the same instructor who taught Steve Jobs, went into real estate, and quickly found his way back to his youthful love of film. I probably don't have to tell you that Portland is a remarkable place and I love its embrace of analog culture from live music to record and comic book stores to the biggest indie bookstore of all, Powell's. But as Josh told me, the festival is also making huge digital advances thanks to some help from Comcast. Portland is on our latest list of the best places to live and work as a movie maker, and the Portland Film Festival is on our list of 50 film festivals worth the entry fee. The new one will be out in the spring, and I don't want to spoil anything. Here's Josh Leek, co-founder of the Portland Film Festival. Well, Josh Leek, welcome to Movie Maker. It is great to talk to you about the festival that you co-founded, the Portland Film Festival. Before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about you, how you became a filmmaker, and how you started your own festival uh, years ago. From what I understand, you made a movie called Empties?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back uh, way before Empties. Uh, you know, I was, a, I was a kid that got left at home while his parents worked pretty much from nine to five. And I grew up watching movies and television, and I've always kind of had this love and passion for it. And unfortunately my schooling wasn't necessarily a film school, um, but I did get some elements of film education at college and in high school that I later leaned on in, in the later years of my life. But yeah, Empties was really, Kind of this first documentary that I made, that uh, I got you know a little bit more worldwide uh, attention from it.
0: Yeah, I saw a video where you talked about you made actually no, I believe it was your interview with the more with Mercury, the local weekly up there. You made something like thirty thousand dollars in prize money in an incredibly short amount of time.
1: Well, it was weird. I I uh, I work in the real estate industry. Mm. Uh, So I deal with money Uh, and I had a tenant come up to me and ask me to give him money to make a movie. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I won't give you the money, but I'll buy the film equipment you need. And so you won't necessarily have to pay for anything. It was a documentary. And uh, but I have this idea to shoot this short film for this contest. And it was for Siemens. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. You give me the equipment, you know, I'll be a producer on the documentary and he'll help me with this other project. So I wrote the script, he helped me shoot it. And I ended up winning, you know, probably 10 to $15,000. I got first prize uh, or second prize. And I did this little film about uh, mass transit in Portland. And Ooh. I took that money and I ended up making another kind of, you uh, contest and yeah i did end up winning about thirty thousand dollars within a year for making these little short films and empties went on to win Tropfest, fest which is a big australian short film festival uh they call it the largest short film festival in the world uh Ooh. and that's where i screened empties in front of fifteen thousand people in new york uh with uh the wonderful uh, hugh jackman such a, a great actor
0: that's very cool
1: Yeah, in fact, if you Google best acceptance speech ever, Hugh Jackman, you can see a video of us uh, singing New York to New York. He's singing, really. I'm just like standing next to him looking weird, but such a great singer, such a a giving person. And uh, everything you've heard about Hugh Jackman is true. He is such an amazing person.
0: I love it. And empties is about people who make a living collecting empties, basically.
1: Yeah, it was really weird. Uh, you know, I was one of the only documentaries at Tropfest that year. Most of them were narratives. I'd say some of the favorites had some famous actors in it. And, you know, and I think now, you know, running a film festival, you notice the films that have the, the, the well-known actors, you know, tend to get noticed a lot.
0: Yeah. And
1: I, I was pretty sure that there was no way my film was going to win anything. And I, in fact, ended up having a few more drinks than I probably should have. And at the point that they actually announced the winners, uh, I I was shocked. And I was I was supposed to call my mother that week. And I hadn't done it because I was in New York and New York's such a a different place than Portland. So many people. It's so amazing. I love New York. Uh, I love the New York Film Festival. Shout out to Leslie. She's such a great, great. Uh, inspiration for our industry. Um, But uh, I was on the phone with my mom and Hugh Jackman says my name and I I didn't know what to do. So I, I didn't hang up on my mom. I just kept her on the phone and I kind of ran out and I was jumping up and down and uh, Mr. Jackman was like, well, who's on the phone? And I'm like, it's my mom. And then he ended up like talking to my mom and it was a really good experience. And, uh, and that really, for me, helped uh, jumpstart the Portland Film Festival. Um, you know, as a filmmaker in Portland, there, there, there are a lot of great film festivals, but none of them really catered towards independent voices. Uh, the larger film, fe- the, the older film festival in Portland, uh, that year only programmed like four films that were made by filmmakers from the US. And I felt that was kind of a small sampling. And uh, a lot of my friends agreed. And that was kind of the auspice of us creating the Portland Film Festival was there was really no opportunity for independent voices to be shown in Portland. And you know we do have more theaters in Portland than any other city in the world within the core of the city, except for Paris. Um, I mean, you can pretty much throw a rock and get close to a movie theater here in Portland. Um, you know, now with the pandemic, of course, those are all closed, uh, and we all support them as much as we can, but, uh, yeah, Portland is a movie town and, um, I've heard from my contacts at the studios that, uh, Portland has always been known as a place where a film will go and play forever. Uh, you know, a good example is, uh, the Rocky horror picture show has played in Portland continuously since its release. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's true. So there's a lot of second run theaters here in Portland. So, so filmmakers who do end up making a good run here, you know, if they get into that second run theater chain, uh, you know, you really can have a long, long, uh, screening time here which you know ends up meaning more for the bottom line and 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 better for the filmmaker
0: yeah it seems like an incredibly livable city i mean i was there two or three years ago and it was just apple picking ice cream coffee shops like i i went to some gym for like a one day class and ended up making friends there who i like hung out with for the next week it was just like such a friendly cool place and You know, uh, there's the, the jokes that they make on Portlandia are kind of true, but in a good way Or it's just like a very, it's just a very comfortable kind of cozy place, at least for an outsider. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was born and raised here. Uh, my grandmother was a librarian at the high school. I got my first job at, I was a lifeguard, a swim instructor and, you know, she funny story about my grandmother, uh, you know, marijuana and drugs are legal now in, in Oregon. Uh, it's kind of a big thing for, for us. Um, we're trying to make it so that, um, you know, we see a lot of drug issues in and around town and, and we're just trying to make sure that those people get help. And by decriminalizing it, a lot of people are, are suggesting that that will hopefully bring down the amount of, of, uh, you know, robberies and, 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 you know, criminality and so forth but um my grandmother uh first time portland public schools some kid planted a marijuana plant at the grant high school library and my grandmother found it that's the type of town we have i mean we're a bunch of rebels you know i think you've heard about steve jobs who went to reed college Uh, he, he was in Portland and, and I actually took calligraphy from the same woman that taught Steve Jobs calligraphy. Mm
0: -hmm. So,
1: uh, if you, yeah, it's so weird, but fonts and type, and I mean, there's just a lot of artists in Portland and, you know, although Portland has been in the news a lot lately for, um, protests, uh, for the, you know, smoke in the air, but I mean, Portland is, is a definitely livable city. Um, I think we're very uh, liberal, um, but we're also, you know, into our sports, you know, we've got Nike headquartered just down the street, yeah. uh, Columbia Sportswear, Intel, I mean, all these big companies that really support, you know, kind of an outdoor lifestyle. Yeah. Um, we actually, when we first started the film festival, um, since Tropfest did their outdoor screenings outside and they had fifteen thousand people that showed up but they had Hugh Jackman I mean I'd show up for Hugh Jackman if he was outside in a movie theater too we didn't have that so but we started our festival out by partnering with the city of Portland and we actually did outdoor screenings for our filmmakers and I still remember uh, we did a documentary that ended up getting purchased uh, but we had 1800 people watching their movie And for me, that experience was amazing, was was bringing a film that wouldn't have had a chance to have played in Portland, and then introducing it to an audience that was receptive. And and that's really at the core of everything that we do with the festival. And I think Portland as a location for a festival is probably one of the coolest places in the world. And and I really say that because um, the people around here are the coolest in the world. I mean, seriously, like Nike, all their designers, they're all headquartered a block up the street. <laughs> and and it, you know, uh, what what's the saying? The, you know, all uh high tides raise all ships. And, oh, I think and I really all the Yeah, and I, I love that saying and I feel that like, you know, everything we do at the Portland Film Festival, we think about how can we make a better experience for our filmmakers? How can we help our filmmakers uh, do their job better? Who can we introduce to our filmmakers that will help them out? And you know that's our guiding principle. And, and I think with that, we've been very successful and very happy. And uh, yeah.
0: During the pandemic, I don't know how many times we've said raise all boats where you promote festivals, festivals promote films, films promote you know, it's just this great ecosystem of people who love movies. And it's so guys
1: are at the center of it. I love movie maker magazine. I got to tell you, it's, (laughs) it's great.
0: (laughs) We're just trying to be in the water with everybody else, you know?
1: No, you guys do a great job. I mean, if you look at all the different news outlets out there, no one's really getting down for the the filmmaker. And you guys are really showing independent filmmakers, you're introducing them to, to, you know, more well-known directors and so forth. But I think where you guys are going is definitely helpful and, and, and is needed. I mean, there's not enough journalism. There's not enough discussion about independent voices and you guys are really doing a good job.
0: Well, it's, it's funny because sometimes people say that and it's just, it's purely selfish. It's like, I used to cover general news and used to cover, you know, what's Trump done now? And all of the, um, you know, all of the movies and movie adjacent stuff. And it's just like, what if we get rid of all the movie adjacent stuff and just talk to movie makers about their movies? Like, let's just talk about the thing that we actually all came here for that we all love. And it's like, we don't have the festival experience now. We're all kind of having the festival conversations online. And it's it's a bummer, honestly, to not be able to, you know, sit down next to someone in an old theater and start talking about movies. But I don't know, we sort of have discovered this, this new community online at least, which is something. And I think that's where the Raising All Boats really goes to. It's like, we can all we can all click on each other's stuff. We can all go to each other's virtual screenings. We can all, you know, any, anything we can do to raise all boats.
1: And yeah, then, and I think that's important if you're a filmmaker, if you're a film festival, or if you're, you know, a cashier at a a movie theater, you know, I mean, we all got to work together. We all have to, we're all in this together. There's enough room for everyone to be there and we might as well support each other. And it just makes life so much easier. And I don't know.
0: Yeah. I I mean, when you said cashier at a, at a a cashier at a theater, I thought of Quentin Tarantino being a, a, a video store guy who then becomes the biggest director. And it's just, you know, I'm not saying everybody working at the video store is going to become the biggest director, but the person who's not interested in film is not going to become the biggest director. The person who doesn't really care isn't. Although you came from real estate, so I do have I do have some questions about that. Like, well,
1: yeah, but my Duke, my you know, I went to Portland State for design, so cool. I've taken some film classes at Portland State. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it was it was. But I mean, you know, one of the producers of one of the biggest movies. Uh, who ended up becoming the Treasury Secretary. You know, the guy who produced... Oh, Mnuchin. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was a producer. Yeah. I mean, he, he's done a lot of movies that everyone loves, including Wonder Woman. And I always thought it was funny. I saw a local nonprofit put together a, uh, like a uh, a charity screening against Trump, but what? they actually played Wonder Woman. And I remember thinking that, you know, Minuchin's getting you know 10 cents for every dollar that you guys are paying those people so really you're kind of helping us pe- i i always thought that was really weird but um yeah he
0: did he did suicide squad his name will come up in the credits a lot and sometimes i would feel a little guilty at the end like oh i just
1: watched yeah this i movie. mean the movie that they were screening was the uh the mel gibson's remake you know the um road warrior uh, yeah so it's a great movie great great film <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know what to say about Stephen He seems like one of the less, he seems like one of the more qualified people in the Trump administration. Say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to, I don't even mention the guy. I just don't even yeah. want to talk about it. But, <laughs> right. uh, yeah. you know, it's interesting that movies were very important. And we didn't really, I mean, a lot of things people missed over this last year was, the monopoly act that you know uh, studios can now own movie theaters yeah. so i personally think that we're going to see some moves pretty soon yeah. uh you know i think amc probably would have been bought out by a studio if it weren't for the um you know the recent reddit uh oh, increase to beautiful. its value I know. Yeah. uh but you know it, it was an interesting time we live in you know um it's it's really funny if you think about it that one of the biggest studios in the world is our biggest sponsor. And they don't tell us to do anything, but they realize that independent voices are sometimes, you know, never heard. Yeah. And when they find an organization that supports it, they're they're right behind us. And, you know, they made a lot of stuff that we did at the festival possible.
0: And which studio is that?
1: Uh, Comcast, NBC universal, they, uh, own a small movie company called universal. (laughs) They've done a couple monster movies. I think maybe, maybe some dinosaurs. I think maybe, I don't know. There's it's, I got to tell you the partnership with those guys have been like the most amazing first off. I can't tell you, I think they've, they've been partners with us for about four years, but uh, being able to call someone and have the internet fixed in an hour, you know, <laughs> it's, I got to tell you, it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, even one year, we flew up the archivist for Universal Studios, and we screened Spanish Dracula, uh, and did all these like amazing films, they gave us photos and posters that haven't been shown in like 50 years. We put them out on display. So it was, you know, super cool. I mean, it's such a big company and to see what they do to support us has been uh, a really good thing to see. So, and independent voices.
0: So speaking of Comcast, you did some beta testing for Comcast?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the really cool things um, about Comcast NBC Universal is that they've got so many companies. I mean they've got Focus Features, you know, they, they've got uh, Fandango, they've got Universal Pictures, they've got Comcast, and um, you know I've been bugging them since they became our sponsor to to get us on their VOD platform. Because I feel like if we could get in front of their 30 million subscribers or even their local subscription subscribers, that we would get our filmmakers out to them, you know, even quicker. So four years into our partnership, uh, finally, uh, Comcast had a new technology uh, called Watch With, and they basically allowed us to um, beta test it. And what that meant for our filmmakers is that uh, we took a selection of short films and we asked them, we said, hey, guys, do you want to be on your own channel on on Comcast where 30 million people in the US can see you? And would you like that? And so we ended up we didn't do it for everyone. And I understand if you have a feature, you want to sell it. You know, there's some rights issues. We didn't take anyone. We made sure everyone was aware that was an issue, you know, and we, we had a great selection of films. So anyone around the U.S. Uh, that has Comcast Internet or Comcast cable could take their X1 or, um, you know, their X1 remote wow. or flex remote and simply say Portland Film Festival. Uh, I want them to say support independent voices, but I guess that was, they wanted to stick with Portland Film Festival and they advertised behind it too. So it wasn't just like, you know, only people in Portland knew about it. And what what happened for our filmmakers and I think some of them still this day maybe didn't really get it. Um, but, uh, so we had our own VOD platform. It's kind of like when you go to Amazon Fire or the X51 platform. We basically had our own line of content. So wow. we were able to not only put VOD stuff up, we were able to live stream all of our Q and A's and director's chats. So wow. that, which was awesome for filmmakers because um, we, did it, we do a director's chat every day uh, with any directors that are uh, scheduled to screen that day. Yeah. And we did it live on our own TV channel uh, and filmmakers had had a great time and, you know, more content for them to clip and use in the promotion of their film. And, you know, it was really one of the best experiences, you know, being able to live stream our uh, our keynote with Ted Hope, who had recently, you know, been from Amazon. Yeah. So um, but it's it was a, it was a great experience this year. You know, we really love our filmmakers and Comcast, NBC Universal really helps us do that by giving us access to things. In fact, this year, uh, I've asked to have um, someone at their distribution side to have uh, a telephone meeting with our winners from the festival. Now wow. that doesn't mean that Universal is going to buy your movie, but you know if they can talk to someone in the room, I figure if you know someone in the room, it's easier, easier to open the door. Well,
0: I I have a million questions about the festival, and I know that many, if not all of the people listening to this are thinking, I'm going to submit a film to this festival or go to this festival, and how do I get into it? But before we get into the intel, I think you have such a unique perspective, like understanding, I mean, coming out of real estate, I feel like you have a fresh perspective on film financing. You know that it doesn't have to come from um, just going and begging the usual people for money. It's such a huge impediment to most people trying to make a film to not even come up with you know a million dollars to come up with five thousand or ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars. What advice, if any, do you have for filmmakers now in this environment trying to get that five thousand, that ten thousand, that twenty thousand?
1: Well, uh, you know, first off, I'd say don't let the money ever stop you. Yeah. You should make the film that you want to watch, the film that you want to make, uh, with what you have right now. Yeah. And there are some exceptions to the rule. In fact, I, I'm a filmmaker. As I said before, I'm working on a a, a large uh, adaptation right now uh, of, a, of a book that I own with a partner uh, from Chuck Palahniuk. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He did Fight Club. Of course. Yeah, so I'm working on a project right now with him. Chuck is amazing. Great supporter. Awesome. Does he still Uh, live in Portland? He does. Well, I probably shouldn't say anything about where he lives. His his fans are pretty pretty fun. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) last I heard, he had a couple houses. So, I mean, you know, that could have changed. But um, anyway, so we did a Kickstarter for that, which is a completely different way of, of approaching it. And it's been interesting. It's been difficult because it's taken us longer than anyone really wants. But, you know, remember I told you, you just got to make the movie. And, and here I am, I'm breaking my own rules. Uh, and, and I think you really have to follow your own gut. And we've had some actors and some partners that have come along that are types of actors and partners that, that, that you dream about. And at the end of things, I think you need to dream and, and follow those dreams. And even if the trip's a little crazy, you're going to have bumps. People are going to tell you, you can't do it. And in my opinion, if you keep going, that makes you that much stronger and that much better. And that's something I've seen with a lot of filmmakers too, that submit their film to the Portland Film Festival. You know, they made a film after work. Yeah. or they made a film on the weekends with their friends. Um, or, you know, sometimes it's a documentary that's haunted them for six or seven years. Yeah. Um, you know, the documentary I talked about earlier that I produced, we sold to Showtime. And which was, you know, that never happens. I mean, yeah. that's, it's it's a it's a real lucky kind of thing. But all I'd say is, you know, filmmakers, you know, whether you submit to Portland or you submit to New York or Sundance, you know, I, I think, First, you've got to decide what you want to do with your film,
0: yeah.
1: And then, and then from there, make your plans accordingly.
0: We did a piece where we asked a lot of different festivals what they want and what they don't want, and you were one of the first ones we reached out to. I think we got you in like the last day before your submissions closed. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, we should have we should have put it out earlier. Um, the thing you said you didn't like your. Um, pet peeve was people who don't keep their contact information up to date. That's kind of a cop out. Everybody hates that. What do you really not like? Like what oh, are as far things, as films? Yeah. What well, are the things that I mean, really make you crazy? Here's
1: the thing that I think makes Portland pretty, pretty unique in the sense that we have people that like all types of films. Yeah. And you know, our films we try to give at least three, three passes. Yeah. And if someone really, I mean, if someone really loves it. It goes to one place. If someone really hates it, it goes to another place. But a lot of times, we look at the stuff that people really hate, mm. because usually, you know, maybe it's someone that doesn't like that genre of of movie. Yeah. And you know, we've experimented on how people. Uh, and I haven't talked much about this, so this is a scoop. But uh, we've actually done, um, uh, you know, we've done it where we assign people films. Uh, you know, filmmakers, other filmmakers, other, you know, people that work in distribution, something like that. Uh, And that's great. You get one opinion, but we've also done focus groups where we put an ad out and we have a film club. So we'll end up getting like 30 or 40 people to come in and we'll watch 30 shorts and we'll have to end up buying people lunch and sometimes dinner and popcorn and cookies. And we basically all sit around, we watch movies and people are like, you know, and we watch it until someone says, I absolutely love this film. And if we can get two other people that say that in the group, then we put it in our love section. And then that gets you know reviewed accordingly. So, I mean, we kind of do some weird ways to make sure that everyone gets a chance to be seen. And um, uh, that's kind of you know what we do, they, do.
0: Do they jump up during the screening and say "I love this film"? Or is it like a yeah, yeah, what yeah? Is- it's
1: it's one of the coolest things in the world. In fact, I think we posted some photos. But uh, what we tell people is they sign a non-disclosure agreement. In in payment, they get food. And it's good food, though, and, you know, drinks and so forth. And we just basically sit around. It's a big TV, you know, big 85-inch TV that we watch. Wow. And uh, we, if someone loves it, we stop it because we're like, you know, this person really is into it. So uh, wow. it's kind of a cool way to get people's reactions. And then we program it a little bit based off of our interests, too but yeah. we never really tell people what those are because we don't want people to pander us. Right. I mean, if you tell someone that we have an indigenous voices track, yeah. Um, You know, we don't want them to do stuff that, that isn't, you know, true to their story.
0: Let me add an indigenous character who wasn't. Or something. So
1: we just don't really, I mean, you know, it just doesn't feel, I don't know. It just is, doesn't feel right. So, We love every year exploring and finding things. We always lose stuff. We Mm. always lose films to to the bigger festivals, Mm. which is nice. Uh, And it's kind of a cool feeling. They're like, ah, we'll come back. I mean, if you get into Sundance or, you know, you get into another top-tier festival, you should probably go there first. Um, And, uh, yeah.
0: How has the festival changed with the pandemic, and how do you think it's going to be in 2021?
1: Well, Uh, there aren't very many organizations out there besides film festivals that support independent voices, uh, at least in film. And I feel that, uh, although there are more film festivals in the world now than ever before, I think I, all my colleagues, uh, at the film festival organizers group, it's a Facebook group for you, filmmakers, you know, if there's a group you can get into This is the group you want to get into because it's got Sundance, it's got Toronto, it's got Berlin. I mean, it's got pretty much every film festival organizer is in this Facebook group. And so I'm able to kind of follow what's going on. What are trends? What are people worrying about? What are people happy about? Personally, my opinion is that um, it's tougher to be a filmmaker now than ever before It's harder for a film festival now more ever than before because people have Netflix, they've got Hulu, they've got so many other alternatives for really good, really good content. Um, But the thing is, is if we rely on just those, you know, perfect content sources, you know, I think we're going to lose some of the knowledge of actually making movies. And I feel that like, you know, if we don't support movie making filmmaking um that it's gonna i think our content could become worse and and to me i think supporting filmmakers supporting independent voices is like the most uh the best thing that i can do uh you know with my hours and time is to to do that and i don't know if that answers your question uh why did we how did we approach the pandemic
0: well one thing you did is you actually had individual screening pods i mean so many people went to drive-ins um started screening films in drive-ins and so many people tried outdoor screenings um a lot of people had to give up on indoor screenings but the pods seemed like a really interesting way of doing it
1: yeah you know um i should probably thank the berlin film festival i was in berlin Uh, right before the COVID breakdown. And I was actually supposed to go to Spain for my birthday. Had the whole thing planned, had a free hotel. I mean, it was just like, I was so excited. And then COVID happened and I just saw a movie and it was in a small theater. And I had always, my whole life thought Berlin, Berlin film festival. Oh, must be like thousand seat theaters. And they do have those thousand feet, 2000 seat theaters, but they also have seats for like 20 people. Wow! And, and, and I was, was they, you know, everyone was like pandemic, you got to stay in your own area. You got to do this. And I also read a lot. And I remember reading about a company in Portland that just got approved for this new air filtration slash surface cleaner. And it was like the, most hip things. So I just emailed the guy off an article that I read and I said, Hey, I'm in Portland and I'd love to put your machines in a bunch of rooms so we can watch movies. Awesome. He was like, cool. (laughs) And I was like, uh, for free. And he's like, no, but you can pay. And, you know, so we gave him, you know, his, his car or his logo was up everywhere, but it was probably one of the coolest things we'd done in a while. And my team was a little scared. They're like, you know, we got to make sure this is right. We got to figure this. And I haven't told anyone this, and I don't tell people this very often, but when the pandemic happened, uh, you know, I was scared, uh, as someone that works in real estate, because, uh, you know, every time I do a loan for someone, I let someone borrow money. If you quit your job in the first six months and stop making your mortgage payments, the lender comes back to me for the money they paid me. Oh God. So if you make a lot of money, which a lot of people did, but then people lose their jobs, which was happening a lot, yeah, you could end up basically working for free and paying back all the money that you make. So yeah. I was like, I made a conscious decision to not work and I didn't like actively pursue lending money out. I mean, I did it if there were friends, if people asked me, but I didn't advertise and, and I was bored and I was getting fat. So (laughs) I ended up actually applying at Amazon and I got a job for three months with Amazon and I learned everything I could about how they train their employees Wow. Uh, because they have a very, you know, McDonald's. I've always thought about doing this at McDonald's because McDonald's has the highest attrition rate of all employers in the United States. Yet every time you go to McDonald's, you have the same experience. Yeah. So my question is, how could I, what could I copy? What could I learn? And what I learned from Amazon was it was the most diverse and cool employee workforce ever the pay wasn't very good but um i did learn how they had they they uh dealt with covid as far as signage training uh and i basically took everything i learned from them and those guys spent a billion dollars on learning how to do covid compliance and i used that at the portland film festival with uh with an air scrubber so it was a really weird experience. My, you know, all my friends that I did tell that I did that were making fun of me. And I'm sure other friends of mine are going to be like, you did what for what, but it was, it was an experience. And, and that's why people go to film festivals to have an experience. And I think that, you know, filmmakers are bringing their experiences to people that they've never met. And I think that's one of the great things about, you know, being, with someone or, you know, talking with people and, you know, physically being with people is that you get to share experiences, you get to share your enthusiasms. And that's, I think, what makes storytelling, filmmaking so amazing. Yeah, I mean, it
0: is the window into other people's lives and it is a tool for empathy. And I'd hate to lose that. And I'd hate to lose the empathy of people of seeing what total strangers will laugh at and feeling like, oh, I'm not a complete weirdo that I laughed at that
1: it's kind of one of those things and and i think we try to make as many experiences possible at the festival and for us doing the screening pods we went to our hotel partner and they were up for it and you know we rented a whole floor we closed it down we took out all the furniture uh we got all this you know real expensive television you know tvs and and sound gear and and you know basically created ourselves a like a, a headquarters where we hit play, and then you know people scheduled or reserved a time and then watched their movie, and it was pretty awesome. You know, we had lazy boys. It was nice. I mean, you know, there's no, there's nothing to compare. You know, a thousand people watching a movie together, yeah. uh, but it was fun and it was good. And and for us, you know, if we could safely screen movies for people within the same household, yeah. why not? I mean, you know. And we actually saw something we've never seen before. And we saw the super rich Uh, there. We had people that uh, came to our film festival that like flew in during COVID in their own jets and watched movies. I'd never ever seen that at a film festival. I'm sure it happens at Sundance.
0: Because they were just so eager for the film experience again?
1: They just love the idea of having their own experience. I mean, we made it nice. I mean, everyone got like a 20 or a $50 drink ticket and then you buy drinks and take them up with you. And then we got, you know, this gourmet Portland popcorn. And then, you know, we had, I mean, you know, we always get really good gifts. And so when you come to the Portland Film Festival, you're a VIP or a filmmaker. Uh, From what I hear from other filmmakers, it's probably the best like gift bag you get. Uh, Ooh. unless you go to the Oscars and then you know that's or the Golden Globes, I'm sure that's a hundred times better.
0: I mean, just to be a total suck up, it's some of the best food in America. I mean, the restaurants, the food trucks,
1: yeah. And did it, you know that? Yeah, it's, it's the best, and actually, the most recent top chef yeah. was recorded during our festival, too. So it was kind of funny that that happened. Uh, We had a lot of stuff happen during the film festival. Actually, we had a protest uh, outside and it in effect closed our festival for like two hours, but it was, it was completely peaceful, but I got to tell you, it was the most organized protest I have ever seen.
0: (laughs) That was, was it Black Lives Matter or was it?
1: Well, uh, about two years prior, uh, uh, someone was shot uh, at, at, at a location close to the festival where, where it's headquartered and oh, they're yeah. basically having a memorial for him. It's very sad. Um, you know, there's sad things happening in our world today. And I think, you know, everyone is at home huddled around their TV and watching things. And I think that this is, you know, the worst of times for filmmakers, but it's also the best of times, you know?
0: Yeah. I was gonna say, I hope someone is making a documentary about the drug legalization. That's gonna be absolutely fascinating. Can you also talk a little bit about what you do to sort of orient filmmakers and bring filmmakers into the festival? Well,
1: that's a good question. You know, every year we try to improve what we've done the year before. And um, this year during the pandemic, um, unfortunately people didn't come out. Um, But what we did do is uh, we did a lot of like, for example, we had an orientation uh, which was great. And we asked uh, Chris McDonald, uh, Christopher McDonald, to uh, be our our special guest. And he was just on a shoot. Um, and, you know, you might know him from, you know, Shooter McGavin. Uh, he's been in a couple different movies. Uh, and New York Times calls him one of the most hardest working actors in the business, which is pretty awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, we try to, yeah, what's that? He's a local? Uh, he isn't. He isn't actually. He's a oh, academic, nice. alumni. Alumni. He's. He's been. He's. You know. We try to go back to alumni as much as we can to come back and and support the the filmmakers of today. Oh. Uh, and uh, but what we what else we do for filmmakers? Um, you know, this year we've started a new indie film series. So if you go to indiefilmseries.org, uh, we literally just started it like a month ago. But each month. We're actually pulling films that played at the festival, or newer films from those filmmakers that played at the festival, to help promote their screenings and and the filmmakers throughout the rest of the year. And um, we're pushing to get our own channel associated with it, but we haven't gotten it yet. That's kind of like our goal. Um, but uh, you know, anything we can do to support our alumni and our film filmmakers is. Is good in our book. You know, we normally if this was a normal year, we have uh, housing scholarships for people to come. Wow. Uh, We also do. um, We copied uh, the Hamptons Film Festival. You know, the best film festivals copy other film festivals that do things right. And you take good things. Well, the Hamptons Film Festival, it's super expensive to get a hotel to rent a place in the Hamptons. So they have a program where they go out and they find people in the Hamptons and they let you stay with them. So we copied that. And we actually have a homestay program. And at some festivals, we'll have like 100 people staying in people's homes, uh, which is amazing. Obviously with COVID, this may change a little bit, but, yeah. but um, you know, there's something to say, I guess, at our film festival, we always have, I would say probably 90 to 95% of the filmmakers actually go to the festival. That's awesome. It does. It makes it, you know, it makes it, uh, fun. You know, we kick off the festival with a big, uh, like networking event. Usually we have 500 to a thousand people show up. Uh, and a lot of filmmakers do their introduction there. They're able to meet people, kind of be the celebrity at the festival. And, you know, we try to fly in as many um, press as we can and industry insiders. So,
0: so I love that you give so much credit to other film festivals, because I know a lot of other film festivals look to you for ideas to borrow. Can you say some of the best ideas that you've taken from other festivals?
1: Well, uh, I'd say that what I do is I, I try to go to as many film festivals as I can. And if you're a filmmaker, even if your film doesn't get in the film festival, you should go. And I'm going to tell you a secret that we don't tell people, but if you submit your film to the Portland film festival, you get a free pass to go. You get an industry pass, which means that if it's sold out, you have to wait in the rush line. And if you don't get in, you don't get in. But if there's an empty seat, you get in for free. And you can do it for the whole festival. And also the industry pass gets you into food. You can drink. I mean, we lose money on filmmakers that take the industry pass, but we want to support filmmakers. Um, but, I, I, you know, your original question was, um,
0: what have you borrowed from other festivals? What have
1: we borrowed from other festivals? And uh, so much. I mean, every time I go to a festival, I feel like I take something, but I can tell you my favorite programmer in the world and the guy that I look up to for everything that's film festival related is Montclair film festival, Ooh. Tom Hall, Stephen Colbert's film festival. Nice. Um, I tend to see what he does and then I just copy it. I mean, in my younger years, I used to want to think about what he did does, but now I just know. If you follow Tom Hall, you are probably correct in 100% of anything you do. And I say that because um, what have we copied from other film festivals? Well, let me tell you uh, I've copied uh, the opening night and closing night parties from Tom Hall when he was at Sarasota. You know, mm-hmm. he, he made it a big deal so that even though this is a big, it's the last night or the first night of the film festival, people want to go there because it's fun. Yeah, got to make it fun. So I'd say Tom Hall, I have borrowed a lot from Sundance. You know, Sundance is amazing. What I love about Sundance and what we what we've taken from them is uh, the networking. You do not get any better networking, in my opinion, in the world of Hollywood movies or making movies than at Sundance Film Festival and Slamdance Film Festival. Both of those. The networking is probably the best, and and it's probably easier to meet people at Slam Dance yeah. than it is at Sundance. Um, I remember walking by Megan Ell- Ellison, you know, she's oh, yeah. uh, one of the biggest producers now, uh, and not being able to talk to her because she was too busy at Sundance. But you know, I was able to have a twenty-second encounter with um, Christopher Nolan mm. at Slam Dance. Was that eight,
0: or was that when he came back? Uh,
1: that was when he came back and spoke. I had a film that played there, and I mean, just a very giving person. So, I mean, so Slam Dance and and Sundance both have this amazing networking, but mm-hmm. Slam Dance is more accessible, and Sundance is maybe maybe more established, but it's it's very similar. So it just depends on you know what doors get open for you. Um, so another thing I stole from Slamdance or Sundance TV is they brought their filmmakers in every day and had them speak on like a panel. Yeah. Tom Hall did it. And then I was like, once Tom did it, I copied it too. So every day of the film festival, we have a director's chat where any director gets up and is able to speak. And and it's great because I think you learn so much about the movie you're going to see by what the filmmaker says. About making it, about the ideas, and I just, I just love that. Some people hate Q and As. I love them, and I think that it just gets you more information and, and, and tells you more of the story. And I think it's those those fringes on the stories that are so interesting. Um, and I'm trying to think. I mean, you know, we we obviously from the, having fifty thousand to hundred thousand people outside at Tropfest yeah. was obviously you know, something we wanted to copy. And in Portland, we only had 1800, but we didn't have a celebrity. So I think that was a, a good one. And there's a great film festival in Mexico, which I, I really recommend uh, you should check out. And it is the Monterey uh, film festival down there. Such an awesome experience. And um, it's it, part of their festival is in an in a art gallery. That's been kind of moved. So to get to the movie theater, you have to like go through this maze and the maze was so much fun that uh, that year for the festival, we rented a warehouse and we built out four theaters and, you know, two workshop areas and we built out our own theater for two weeks uh, thanks to a partnership with a builder friend of mine. Uh, whose wife also volunteers with the festival, but uh, we had a company that builds WalMarts come in and build our movie theater for the film festival. It was an amazing experience, and um, we copied a lot of how that festival was set up from Monterey, just because it's such a great experience. And if you love Mexico, which a lot of us do, um, and you love. Movies, the Monterey International Film Festival is definitely one to check out. And the people are so nice and everything they do is great.
0: Is that theater still there?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure it's still there. It's Monterey. I mean, it's a great festival. Oh, still I mean,
0: I mean, your theater.
1: Oh, no, no. It, we had to take it down. I mean, I, I could probably do a whole documentary on putting together screening spaces, but uh, this wow. particular instance, we had the fire department come down. And they were going to close us like an hour before our first screening was there. And, and we're like, ah, we thought we did everything we needed to do. So then I went to him and I was like, okay, we will, we'll just cancel the festival. I'm going to put a press release out. We're going to have some filmmakers that are angry. Uh, But he's like, no, no, no. All I need you to do is put this one strap up. So, you know, we spent 20 bucks on a metal strap and, you know, it was done. I mean, building any kind of thing in a big city is a lot different than doing it, you know, on your own in your backyard or, you know, wherever. So, you know, we did everything that we had to do. You know, we wanted to make sure that everything was up to code. And um, it was an excitement, but we, we really <laughs> borrowed this idea from a theater in Mexico. Um, you know, another thing that we, uh, I love about Sundance and um, Vancouver International Film Festival uh, also makes really cool merch. Um, so I've always loved what they've done with their merch, but they, were, they I, I think they could sell more of it if they actually advertised it more. I think they it's yeah. one of those things that's really cool and it sells out every year. And I think that their executive director must be like, I love the fact that our stuff sells out and, you know, we never have any leftover. We're the opposite. We end up having stuff. I, got, I still got shirts from 2012, but people buy them. People still love them because it was, it was, you know, it was an experience, but we borrowed Vancouver uh, with their merch. So we, we spend a lot of time on our merch, you know, each year we choose a new animal and, you know, we were, we felt like film festivals always have like film, and a movie theater and popcorn. So we were like, we never want to do film and popcorn. (laughs) So we thought, well, what's one thing we can do different each year and maybe help a nonprofit. So we were like, well, let's choose an animal that's indigenous to Oregon and then we can like donate money to the nonprofit. And we did the donation thing for a while. We stopped it because it was just too difficult to, I mean, you know, we don't make money. So we kind of had to, (laughs) could give it we couldn't give money away that we didn't have so
0: yeah
1: uh but uh we still kept the animal thing and and people love that because you know they remember i was from the year of the bear or i was the year (laughs) of the buck or i was the year of the fish um that's so cool it is kind of weird but and (laughs) another thing um i stole uh from uh atlanta film festival Atlanta Film Festival. I don't know if you know this was uh, the first place that screened a movie um, from uh, um, from. I'm drawing a blank right now. You're probably gonna have to uh, get rid of Spike Lee. And yeah, I mean, so I like if I was a filmmaker, I would obviously submit to Portland, but I would submit to Atlanta because I mean they're known as a tastemaker, and Atlanta always plays. Uh, really good studio films, which means yeah. that the the higher ups at the studios respect Atlanta Film Festival. It's, it's yeah. a tastemaker. So I would definitely submit to them. And what we stole from them was we make more uh, backdrops than we actually need. So, you know, the step and repeats, yeah. If you have Jason Momoa at your film festival, you want to get a picture. And like, if you are a filmmaker, you want a backdrop there so people can take your picture and promote that your film's coming up. So it, it, if you go to a film festival, one of the things you want is you want a film festival that has red carpets all over the city so that people can help promote and talk about your stuff. And, and you know, it also helps filmmakers because then they can say, hey, go see my movie, take a picture in front of a red carpet and we'll whatever. So, um, sure. so we always do like we print so many and Atlanta does something similar, but they also do a different color every year. So we, we copied them. So every, every year we do a different color. Uh, on our backdrop uh, so that when you look at a picture you can actually tell which year it was oh, I love it yeah this is probably TMI I'm trying to think what else other filmmakers would like to know um, everyone yeah. really just wants to know how to get in
0: and I think I think we've kind of hit that
1: um, I mean make a great film I'd say maybe you can ask me what's a good film I mean I, I can't really say it's it's my yeah. opinion but
0: yeah. I know that you like films about a wide range of different subjects, but is there any kind of thing that you like or don't like? Like, it makes me crazy if I'm watching a movie, if there's a long shot of nature, um, it's a personal pet peeve. <laughs> cause I'm like, you're just shooting this cause it's beautiful. Or it may be like a symbolic thing that I'm not getting. Um, do you have anything like that? Do you have any pet peeves like that? Do you have any things that you really like in general?
1: I interviewed the director of submissions at Sundance uh, at a conference a couple years ago, and he's still there. Um, and uh, he told me that Sundance ha- every year makes a list of things that they see in more than like 10 or 20 movies. Wow. And if they see it, they try to exclude it. And, mm. you know, like that's, yeah, you know, a dog dies in the first two minutes. I think that's one of them. A right. uh, second one is there's a, uh, you know, a um, clock next to the bed and someone turns it off. So and he went on and told me all those things. And, you know, some of my favorite movies have those things. So, um, I mean, I don't think we really have a film that we don't like. I mean, we even almost played a six hour movie this year. Yeah. And the only reason why it, it didn't go is because it was six hours and, <laughs> and I, I was, I really wanted to do it, but our programming team is made up of uh, a, a group of people uh, that um, are love a different type of movies. So it's not just everyone that loves music videos. We love music videos. Um, I mean, it's experimental documentary narrative um, shorts. I'd say we also play more short blocks than any other festival for us we feel that like these are these are the experimental grounds. To us, this is the most interesting because it's like, these are the people that are honing their craft. They're yeah. starting a story that could end up being a feature that could win an Oscar. I mean, how many times have we seen shorts that have gone on to features? Yeah. So um, we tend to play a lot of shorts, um, but features as well. Um, I mean, there's no real, I don't think there's really anything that we say no to. Yeah. Um, and it just depends on, on what, connects
0: that was joshua leek co-founder of the portland film festival dropping a lot of intel about portland about his festival and about a lot of other festivals if you have a film you're thinking of submitting first congratulations and second i think there are a lot of good tips there thank you so much for listening you can visit us anytime at moviemaker.com you can also read moviemaker magazine out on newsstands now our best places to live and work as a movie maker feature is in that issue. And it includes, yes, Portland, Oregon. Thank you again. I'll see you very soon. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And you know what? Entire life. Why why leave it out a day? I'll See you soon. Thank you.